and if you need directions to Summit House, uh, you can get them from reception. It's very good. We saw uh, Dax was here very early this morning uh, for the nine o'clock service uh, to do that piece and also to make the announcement. Um, and then he went off uh, just to spend the day relaxing as you do on a Sunday, dancing with JLS for the rest of the day because um, he works with them. So they were uh, doing some work together. So he came back especially for this evening. So we're very excited about that production. And if you've got your groove on, if you think you can dance, um, you don't have to be quite as good as Dax. But uh, if you can hold a rhythm and you're interested in it, then uh, it'd be great. Perhaps you could be involved in this upcoming production. Wonderful. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, you could turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. As we talk about God doing a deeper work in our lives, we can look at the depth of God's work in our lives in many different ways. But one of the things that we should expect as we deepen our walk with the Lord is that our faith life will deepen. You know, faith is not... Sometimes the way that faith is presented, it's presented like a quick fix, get, get me faith. In other words, you want something from God, so you put your faith to work, and then you get what you want, a means to getting. But faith is far deeper than that. Faith is your walk with the Lord. Uh, it, it, without faith, you cannot please God. Your relationship with the Lord is based on faith, love, and hope. And if you want to take the temperature, your spiritual temperature, you have to take the temperature of your faith, temperature of your love, and temperature of your hope. It's those three areas that will show you how you're walking with God. Your faith life, your life of love towards God and others, and your hope, what you're believing to happen. And as we come to this passage in Hebrews 12, coming straight after Hebrews 11, the faith's hall of fame, we see that faith here is being presented by the author of Hebrews as something that that church need desperately in their lives. They were under pressure to backslide. They were under pressure to take the easy route. They were under pressure to, um, to, to back off from their relationship with God. Uh, all the things that God was and all the things that God had promised, well, they weren't experiencing those at that time. They were going through what you might like to call a wilderness period or a dry period in their lives. And um, uh, the author was encouraging them not to back off, but actually to understand that what they were going through was going to deepen their faith with God, deepen their love of God and one another, and give them hope. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary 
and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. So here in this passage, we see that the author is addressing the Hebrews, and he's addressing us today. And um, he's encouraging them to keep on believing and to keep on going through the problems that they are facing. And he, he encourages us by doing this in a number of ways. He encourages us by looking at the cloud of witnesses. Now, if you just flick back to chapter 11, I'm not going to read the whole of chapter 11, but you just, you just look. What a wonderful passage of all these people in the Old Testament who believed God. And they had their trials, they had their tests, but they believed God. And many of them didn't even receive the fullness of what God had promised to them in their own life. And so it's like, I don't know how you are today. Uh, maybe you're encouraged, I hope you are. But maybe you're discouraged. Or maybe uh, God is calling you to higher levels of faith in Him and faith in what He can do in you and through you. Maybe you're facing opposition, a trial, a test, uh, something, that uh, a sickness, and you're facing that, and this wall that you're facing just doesn't seem like it's going to come down. And you're wondering, is this going to go on forever? Or, or you're wondering, am I ever going to reach that new level that I believe that God wants me to be? Am I just going to stay static in my Christian life? Have I hit a ceiling in my Christian life and I just can't seem to break through to the next level of anointing that God wants in my life, the next level of, of victory. And we have all these clouds of witnesses. And the important thing is, is this, is what God did for them, he'll do for you. This is what it says, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, if God wasn't going to do for us what he did for everybody in Hebrews chapter 11, it would be meaningless for them to be witnesses. It would be meaningless to look to Abraham and Moses and Joseph and um, David and Samuel and Gideon and Barak and Samson and all the others that, that are in there. It would be meaningless to look at them if God wasn't going to do the same thing for us as he did for them. When I mean the same thing, I mean each one of us has our own calling and walk with the Lord. But that he would be the same God of Isaac, the same God of Abraham, the same God of Moses, the same God that was with them to be with us. So the reason that there are a cloud of witnesses is that we can say, God, you who were with these men and women, you're the same God. And, you're, and these are witnesses to what you've done in their lives, in their particular and special situations you're going to do in my life too. It's a cloud of witnesses. And it's interesting, it says, um, to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Faith always has a period of endurance. It's during the period of endurance that you want to give up. It's during the period, I mean, I've never ran a marathon um, I never liked marathons. I used to run the 100 meters at, at, at school and for the district. But I've never run a marathon. Um, they used to put me on the cross-country team of the school, and I hated it. Um, they just put me on because I thought, well, if he can run 100 meters, he can run 100 meters a few more times. 
but it doesn't work like that. That wasn't the way that my legs were sort of created by God. They were short spurts and then long rests. And they used to put me on, and I used to hate it. It was the thing I hated most at school. And it's funny, all the, one, all the guys with the long legs, spindly long legs, seem to go on forever. They're like Duracell batteries. But I was sort of like a flash and burn, you know what I mean? It was like I was turbo boost, and that was me finished for the day. And I used to hate cross-country because it used to go on and on and on and on and, and enduring it. And, 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 you know, sometimes in our life, it feels like we're in a marathon in areas of our lives. It's just going on and on and we're feeling weary and we're wondering, you know, how many hills do we have to climb? How many muddy valleys do we have to run through before we're going to get to the end of this? Uh, but the book of James tells us that when we go through trials or difficulties, that we have need of patience. But the word is stronger than patience in James chapter 1. The word is endurance. You have need of endurance so that you can attain what God wants you to have. Attain what God wants you to have. And then, of course, we have this wonderful passage in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, He's the one that supplies our faith. He's the one that encourages us through the journey. Now look, for the joy that was set before him endured. There's a word again, endured. And it wasn't like a marathon. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God when he went through it. Now, what this is, is this shows us that what Jesus was doing, this picture of Jesus on the cross, is the picture of perfect faith in a perfect storm. Do you remember Colin has been speaking in the past about going through the fire and going through the perfect storm? Well, what Jesus went through on the cross for you and I had, could only be accomplished by absolute perfect faith in his Father. Because at any moment, and, and this, this was the, if I can say it, I mean, it was ordained. He was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But humanly speaking, the biggest danger was that Jesus was going to shrink from the cross. The biggest danger is that he was going to say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to step back. I won't do it. I'm going to call thousands of angels from heaven to deliver me. That was the biggest danger because nobody was forcing Jesus to go through what he went through. Not even the Father was forcing him to go through what he went through. He went through this totally voluntarily. I mean, sometimes when you're a situationist and you can't help, it's got nothing to do with you, you're just going through it. That's one thing. But Jesus chose to go through the greatest hardship a human being has ever suffered. And it was voluntarily, voluntary from beginning to end. Every moment of pain, he could have just said, enough. And thousands upon thousands of angels would have delivered him. He could have gone right back to heaven where he came from, and uh, we'd be left in our sins. But he didn't do it. He voluntarily applied himself to the will of the Father. I mean, one of my mo the most amazing passages of consecration and submission is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, isn't it? Because there you see him, and he's looking at this, and he uses the term a cup, a cup of bitterness. That, that's the cross. That's what he's about to go in. 
And he says to his father, if there's any way that this cup can be removed from me, if there's any other way, this is the last thing in my human frailty that I want to do. And my whole human frailty shrinks from this cup. Father, is there any other way? But not my will, but yours be done. And he took that cup of wrath. He took that cup of bitterness. And it was a bitter cup. It was a, within that cup, metaphorically speaking, which is the cross, within that cup that he was to drink was the punishment and wrath of God against every sin that has ever been ever taken place in the history of mankind is currently taking place in the history of mankind and every sin that will ever take place in the future all the consequences of the totality of human sin past present and future was poured into that cup of judgment that cup of judgment and if he hadn't drunk it we'd have each had to have drunk our fair share of that cup ourselves. And that wrath and that judgment on our own sin, that wrath and judgment would never be extinguished forever and ever. We'd be paying off our sin because a holy, righteous God judges sin in a holy, righteous way. So God, so think of Jesus taking all of that, not just a physical punishment, but also the punishment that was ours, and he drank that cup willingly. I mean, I don't know about, have you, ever, have you ever had medicine that you hate? And someone gives it to you and says, you know, it used to be cod liver, liver oil, didn't it? For, oh, some, oh, flashback. It used to be cod liver oil, but thank God they come in capsules now. So when I take my cod liver oil, I don't mind. But, you know, I, I've heard... That co- is it, was it that really that bad? Did you have to do it every day? Or? No, you, 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 you rebelled. Good for you. <laughs> I mean, if you've ever tasted anything bitter, you know, if you, do, if, you don't, if you don't, think of the bitterness of what Jesus drank. And at any moment, he could have said, stop. If you give co- cod liver oil in its raw form to a child and say, just say, if you, just say when you don't want any more. <laughs> They'll just spit it back at you. That'll be it. So I'm emphasizing the voluntary nature of Jesus' consecration to the will of his Father. Now, how could Jesus have such, be so, such a volunteer? How could he be such a volunteer for the Father when the Father was asking so much of him? Well, it was because he had faith. He was drinking Glory to God. I just see it in the spirit. He was drinking the cup of poison, if I can use that word. He was drinking the cup of poison, but his eyes were on the joy that was set before him. That's what the scripture says. For the joy set before him. You see, he could see through the bitterness. He could see through the pain. He could see through the judgment he was going to take on our behalf. He could see through because he could see by faith the benefits 
of what he was going to accomplish. And this is used as an encouragement to us. Because it says, verse 3, Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. In other words, this is the scripture for you to deal with discouragement and weariness. Why? Because not only do you have in that Hebrews 11 all these great people to study who went through trials, difficulties, endurance, but you know, even though they may not have received everything that they promised, was promised them in this life, uh, many of the things they did receive, they were delivered. And what this is saying is that you look at Jesus and you grit your teeth and you keep going and you keep believing because for every death there's a resurrection. For every endurance, there is a blessed release and reward at the end of it. So if you're weary and discouraged, and and, and the idea here, weariness and discouragement, this is a picture of fainting in faith. Fainting in faith. You're weary in spirit. In other words, you have promises from God, and you know what? When are they going to be fulfilled? God spoke clearly, at least you thought so at the time, and you know he did. But when are these promises going to begin to manifest? The things God spoke to you, the joys that you received by prophecy, the joys that you received through an impartation of the written word, when God said, this scripture's for you, son, this scripture's for you, daughter. You're going to be healed, or you're going to prosper, or you're going to come into that that place of victory, and you're going to see fruit in your work. And you get these words from the Lord and these promises from Scripture, and you, you keep believing them. But the more you believe them, the less they seem to be coming about. And it's funny, you know, just when you think you can't take any more and God must be coming through, you have to take some more. You have to take some more. Endurance. Endurance is the word. Look what Jesus endured. Endurance is not always a marathon time or a long time. You you may have to endure something uh, very intensely in a short time. But endurance, no pain, no gain. Jesus took the pain, but he didn't take the pain just for the pain's sake. There was faith involved in this. In some brands of Christianity, pain is lauded and suffering is lauded, almost like pain and suffering, they're good in their own right. They're not good in their own right. Jesus would not have suffered on the cross for the sake of it. Jesus would not have suffered on the cross just to show that he could suffer. Wow, I took some pain. That that was worth it. Suffering is not a reward, but suffering... I want to pick up suffering. I'm not just talking about suffering of sickness and everything. I mean, going through this world. In this world, you will have tribulation, but it's not full stop. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but take joy, I have overcome the world. In other words, there'll be an end to it. There'll be a breakthrough in it. Lest you become weary and discouraged with your souls. Now, What took Jesus through 
that experience, he saw the hope set before him, but how did he travel through it? Well, he traveled through it by standing on the word of his father. Faith is always in God's word to us. Now, he didn't hope it would all turn out. Sometimes we get faith and hope mixed up. We hope it's going to turn out. But you see, hope without faith is meaningless. But hope is based on faith. So if you're here tonight and you're feeling a bit discouraged, or you're feeling hope's gone for this person or this situation, or you're watching on the internet and you're suffering from hopelessness, in other words, is it ever going to happen? Will we ever see change? And this might not just be something that you're feeling for your own personal life. You might be feeling it for the church. You might be feeling it for a city. You might be feeling it for a nation. You might be feeling it for a body of Christ. You might be feeling it for somebody that you want to, you want to bring to the Lord. And when you feel a bit discouraged, which means your hope is under attack, your hope. You know, without hope, people perish, don't they? I mean, imagine, what about the things that you're hoping for in your life? Let's just step back a second before we go back into this. What, what are you hoping for in your life? And I'm, just say, I, I, and I'm not just talking about spiritual. I mean, what, do you, what are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are the things that you want to see in your life and your ministry, if I can use that word, and in your nation, your church, your job? What are your hopes for the future? Hopes for family, hopes for finance. Hope. What are your hopes? Just think about them. Now imagine if those hopes, the small ones, the big ones, the strong ones, the, 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 the less ones, what if all those hopes were taken away? Every single one. Hopes in spiritual hopes, material hopes, relationship hopes, family hopes. What if they were all taken away? If all those hopes were taken away, do you know what? You, you, would, you, you would not be able to continue in an existence. You, you would definitely, most definitely feel suicidal. But you would cease to function as a human being without hope. And the devil knows that. And so the devil wants to take out our hope. He wants to attack our hope, because when we lose sight of hope, it then begins to erode our faith. Often God does not attack your faith straight away. Sorry, often the devil does not attack your faith head on. He's too clever for that. But what he does is he chips away at your hope. Little by little, those dreams begin to fade. Little by little, those hopes become more and more distant, seemingly more and more unrealistic. That's the work of the enemy. And when your hope begins to fade, then your faith also begins to fade. But what we need to do is understand that when the hope begins to fade, that's when we need to feed the faith. That's when we need to get back to the to word of God. Jesus' hope was set before him. He had a dream. 
And that dream and that hope was so strong. And that dream and that hope was you and me. And every person that would receive him as savior and have their sins forgiven once for all and know that they would be rescued from eternal hell and be able to be with Jesus forever and ever. That was his dream. That was his hope. And he kept that dream alive. He kept that hope alive because his faith was rooted and grounded and fed in the word and relationship that he had with God. Remember, faith, love, and hope. I've spoken about hope. It's the vision. It's the future. It's the picture. It's the dream. That, that's your hope. But where do faith and love fit in here? Well, the greatest, of course, faith and hope, is love. Because you can't have faith in somebody that doesn't love you. You can't have faith in somebody that doesn't love you because you don't know if they're, if they're going to be there for you. I mean, you try and have faith in somebody that doesn't love you. They don't love you, you don't, you don't know that they're going to be there for you. They can chop and change. So it's important. Now, the one thing that Jesus knew more than anything was that his father loved him. I mean, it's incredible when you read the Gospel of John. The amazing intimacy between the Father and the Son. I mean, you couldn't put a piece of paper between them. They were so close. I mean, they were so close, they were one. And Jesus again and again, just read the Gospel of John. It's incredible. It's the most beautiful, perfect relationship that you can ever read about in the Bible. It's, it, it's the perfect, most beautiful, perfect relationship between the Father and the Son. And the Son loves the Father, and the Father loves the Son, and the Father shows the Son everything, and the Son does nothing except the Father, and the Son honors the Father. I mean, it's, it's just so beautiful. And Jesus knew that his Father loved him, and that his Father loved him so much that he could trust him through anything. What happens to us sometimes when we become weary and discouraged in our souls, when the endurance that we're going through doesn't seem to be ceasing, when, when, when the hope seems fading, is what can tend to happen is we can tend to have issues. Is God really with me? Does God, is God really, really with me? Does God really care for me? Does God really love me? I mean, I know he does in the Bible, but does he really love me? It, can I really trust him to keep on going, keep on believing, keep on pushing, keep on trusting, keep on fighting the good fight of faith? Where's this going to get me in the end? Wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be easy just to step back, cop out, jump out, find some other way of dealing with issues? backslide, back off. No, it's God's love that causes us to trust. This is why if you want to receive the things of the kingdom, you have to be like a little child. You have to be like an innocent child. I love children. Don't you love children? I love children and I love their innocence. And I am privileged enough to know a lot of disabled children. I, I spend a lot of time with a lot of disabled children because my child's disabled. And so when I go and visit my child at school and things like that, I've got to know a lot of disabled children. 
And, um, you know, it takes a while to understand disabled children, mentally disabled children. At first, you don't know what's going on. But after a while, when you get to know them, you get to understand them, you get to underst- they get to understand you, and you see the beauty that's within them. And what I've found with mentally disabled children is that there is a beautiful innocence within them, a beautiful, trusting innocence. I mean, they wear their hearts on their sleeves. They're, they're not, they, they, don't, they don't know how to deceive. If they're happy, they're happy. If they're sad, they're sad. If they're angry, they're angry. They, they don't know how to deceive. They, don't, they, can't, they couldn't cover up who they really are if they wanted to. But they trust, and they have to trust, because they can't function without help, without aid. But when you look at them, you see, the ones I've met anyway, such a wonderful, trusting innocence. I mean, they can't, it can't even feed themselves. Some of the ones that they, just, they need you to feed them, and the, the be- and, and, and of course I want them to be healed. And I'm not talking. I'm talking about what I can see of God in them. Do you know what I'm saying? We can sit here and say what we can see of the fallen world and the devil and what he's tried to do. Uh, but you can see God in everything, can't you? And there's this innocence and this trusting that it, that is is wonderful and beautiful. Of course, it, it, it can be betrayed, but it's, it's there. And God wants us to be like children, to be reliant and innocent in our relationship with God. You say, what do you mean innocent in our relationship with God? Don't bring your broken relationships, your failed relationships, and what people have done to you, don't bring that in to your relationship with the Father. Don't bring your lost innocence you know, and when I say lost innocence, I'm not necessarily speaking about high levels of abuse. I'm just talking about living on earth long enough with other people. Don't bring those things. You know, some people say, oh, I find it hard to believe that my heavenly father loves me because I never had a father or I never, or I didn't get on with my father. I understand that's an issue that needs to be addressed. But don't, don't come to your father in heaven in an innocent way. Say, well, I need inner healing. Well, yes, you can have inner healing too, and I pray the Lord brings inner healing to you, but you don't have to wait for inner healing. It's an attitude of trust. It's coming to the Father just innocently and saying, Lord, maybe people have let me down and this, that, and the other, but you know what? I'm going to become vulnerable and innocent before you, and I'm going to trust that you love me. I'm going to trust that what you said in your words true even if everything around me says it isn't, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to believe you. And I'm going to believe that there is a joy set before me that I'm going to experience. And I'm not just talking about the joy of going to heaven. You know, this isn't all about hardships and then we die and then we receive our joy. All of us will have testimonies, however large or small, of God coming through. Is that not correct? In times when it didn't look like he would. And you can place yourself back in those things, and you remember, and it was impossible, and your hope had failed. How many have ever been in a place where you were believing God for something that was in his word and that he'd spoken to you, and you actually gave up, but he still came through? And God wants us to learn from those things, to trust him, to trust him, to be innocent before him, 
Jesus understood that God the Father loved him. And so even when God asked him to do something which seemed ridiculous, and one of the things we have to be careful of is making God in our own image. In other words, you know, I would never tell my son to go to the cross for you. I would never do that. I would never say, Jake, I want you to die for the sins of Kensington Temple. Well, firstly, I love him more than all of you in Kensington Temple. <laughs> Sorry. I said I'm not God. And so I wouldn't sacrifice his life for any of yours. Well, you don't look very happy about that, but I'm not God. I wouldn't do it. I'm sorry, I wouldn't do that. And secondly, what sort of father would put his son to death anyway? That's what I'm ta talking about. But you have to understand that the son and the father, God, and God the son have such an amazing relationship that Jesus understood that is it, though his father asked him to do the hardest thing and endure the greatest shame, he understood that if his father asked for him, with his innocence, Jesus was an innocent lamb, do you know that? His innocent trust of his father, even when he came to the cup and he said, I don't want this. But you know what? Even though this is the worst thing I could ever face, I can't think of anything worse. There is nothing worse, father. Even though this is the worst thing I could ever face, I trust you. You love me, and there is a purpose, and there's a joy, and I'm going to have to trust you through this because of all the promises that you spoke to me. You told me that if I went through this, you'd raise me from, from the dead, and not only me, but you would give me a harvest of souls. You promised me all these things. And he went through love. Now, faith, you see, it begins with, your, it begins with love. And faith is the bridge of, between love and hope that gets you through to the other side. Faith without love is meaningless. Because you just, it's just some sort of metaphysical way of trying to manipulate events and God. You know, mind, faith, and, and confession, and... All these techniques that may not be wrong in the right context. All these techniques, but without assurance of God's love that he's with you, then, then you have no faith to bridge you to hope until you get what you receive. Now, what was Jesus walking on during this endurance? What did he? He wa walked on the promises of his father. And when everything was disintegrating around him, he clung stronger and stronger to the word of the Lord. You know, it reminds me a little bit about the word given to Peter. When they were in that boat that was sinking in the middle of, of, of the sea, and they thought they were drowning, and Jesus was there, and Peter said, call me, and Jesus said, come. And Peter said, right, I got the vision of joy before me, Jesus. And I've got the word, the promise that says, come. Now, the, my question now is, if I walk, will he be with me? Does he love me enough not to let me perish? I've got his promise. He's quite a way out. I mean, Jesus was, was quite away from that boat, I believe. 
Otherwise, it wouldn't have been much a test of faith, would it? I mean, if Jesus was just a few yards away, you could know, worst case scenario, I'll just grab him. So Jesus was a while away, and that was one big storm for a fisherman to be frightened about it. And so he'd seen the joy set, set before him. It was Jesus himself in the middle of the storm. And he'd had the word of God come. But the question really was, did Jesus love him enough to make sure that he'd be with him through that journey from the boat to him? And of course, we know the story that Peter got out of the boat and began walking to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, what happened? His faith failed him. What happened before that? His assurance failed him. Love, faith, hope. Hope was before him. He had faith to step out, but then his assurance, I'm going to drown. He looked at the circumstances, and those circumstances were saying, it's over for you. And he thought, I'm going to drown. And he took his focus off the joy set before him, and he began to look. And is, is Jesus with me? Is he really with me? Is he really for me? And is he really powerful enough to deliver me? And these are the questions that we often ask ourselves unconsciously. Is God really on my side? And is God really powerful enough to do what he's promised to do? Now, it's one thing to say in your mind, of course he is, the Bible tells me so. But it's another thing to believe it when the situation you're in has got such power to the contrary. And Peter was in a situation where there was such power to the contrary. And that point of assurance, is God with me? And then, does, God, does Jesus love me? Will he let me perish? And then that began in its turn to affect his faith in the word. Is the God behind the word? Is the man that said, come? Is he with me? Because if he's not with me, then his word isn't to be trusted. And if his word's not to be trusted, then I've got no hope of getting to the joy that's set before me. Are you hearing me? So when you look at your life, you need to look. Faith, hope, sorry, I'll put it in the right order. Love, which is the greatest of all. Love, faith, and hope. Love, faith, and hope in the situation that you're in. And you might not even be in a trial situation. You might be doing okay. But God's got things for you to conquer, hasn't he? You see, faith isn't just about dealing with the trials and difficulties. Sometimes in certain brands of preaching, usually from the United States of America, and some of the best preaching comes from the United States of America, so don't think I've got anything against America, but I said, that particularly, there is a form of preaching that is tribulation and difficulty focused. And um, often it comes out of a, a culture or a culture of poverty or difficulty where, where people have always gone through difficulties. And the preaching is when your storm comes, when your storm comes, when your storm comes, when your storm comes, have faith, you'll get through the storm, you'll get through to the other side. And that's absolutely fine. But you see, when you're not in a storm, what do you do? Wait for the next storm? 
And one of the problems, because I've preached about the storm tonight, so we're preaching, I'm preaching about difficulties. One of the problems is, is that if you're not careful, you become a Christian that just waits for the next storm. So everything's going okay, everything's fine. You go in with the Lord, nothing much is happening. Then a storm hits you. And then it's like, pray for me, I've got to put my faith to work. And, and you're going through the storm, and you get out of the storm, praise the Lord. And then you just wait for the next storm. And uh, God doesn't want us, we will go through storms, I understand that. But God just doesn't wait for the storm, God wants us to be the storm. God wants us to put the devil through the storm. God wants us to unleash the storm of the kingdom of God on the work of the enemy. No, Jesus didn't come to earth and just say, okay, here I am, punish me, devil. Here I am, I'll take the sin. Jesus wasn't passive. Well, he, he, he was passive to his father's will in the sense of he said, let your will be done. But he was active. He was aggressive. Jesus is the sort of guy that if there wasn't a storm going on, he'd create one. You know, he could have walked into the temple and said, do you know what? I'm going to be going through such a storm in a, in a day or so. I'm, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be, you know, let them, let, let them sell their, their stuff. Let them, let, them, let them have their tables. Let them do that. I'm, I've, got, I've got enough storms coming my way without creating storms. You'd have thought that. It's not necessary for you to overturn the tables, Jesus, make a cord of whips and cause us. It's not necessary because you just wait. That storm is going to hit you. But what did he do? He created a storm. He created a storm with the Pharisees. He created the storm on the Sabbath. He created the storm. Not that he was one of these, you know, rude people that just, you know, is rude all the time, putting everybody's nose out of joint and says it's the Lord. No, you're just rude. He was doing this for the kingdom. And one of the problems we get, and I'm not talking about this church, but one of the problems we get in middle-class charismatic Christianity is that when everything's going all right, they just leave the devil alone. And yes, they'll use the name of the Lord, love, faith, and hope when they experience a storm, a sickness, a difficulty. But unless a storm hits them, they won't create a storm. And I think God wants us in this church to create more storms. I think, I think God want, wants us to rise up and not just wait for difficulties to face with the Lord, but I think he wants us to create difficulties, to, to put ourselves in front of obstacles that we might never need to face, to overcome things that we, might ne we, we don't need to overcome if we just go our merry way with the Lord and just deal with the stuff that comes our way. I think God wants us to rise up and, uh, and, and conquer territory that, 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 that the devil has taken, that in the course of just living a Christian life, we don't need to do. I think God wants us to release our faith and to take ground and to move forward and not to be passive, but to be active. I think that's what God wants us to do. He wants us, us to embrace what God is going to do. And when you think about, we're coming into a conference, you know, for leaders this week. And, um, you know, sometimes, it, I'm going to be honest, there'll be some leaders, they'll be like, oh, 
don't know how I'm going to turn up for Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then Saturday, how am I going to, I just, I just hope I can get to one. I, well, you don't understand, I've got, I got this I'm going through, I've got that I'm going through, I've got the other I'm going through. You know, and often it's amazing how little we can go through before we back off from the house of God. It's amazing how, how little we can go through before we back off from the apostolic mandate on our lives and leadership. You know, it's amazing how, how little it takes for some of us to back off. But on the contrary, we need to rise up, take more ground. That consecration that Jesus took in the Garden of Gethsemane is a picture of consecration in our lives that we are so believing in God's love for us that we're ready to take ground. We're looking for a spiritual fight and not hiding from one. And so weariness and discouragement makes you more and more passive and you can't even deal with the things that are the storms that are hitting you. But if we begin to look at Jesus and what he went through and the victories he's done, and those in Hebrews 11, we know that victory's going to come. Don't forget your testimony. God brought you through. Focus on the things that God has done for you. David did when he met Goliath. He remembered what God had done, how he'd slain different animals. And the God that was with him then is with him today. Whatever you are, whether you're going through a trial, the God that was with you and delivered you before, he's with you today. He's not changed. He's the same God that was with you. But also, those of you that are doing very nicely, thank you very much. All going very well, bless the Lord. If it's all going very well, very nicely, bless the Lord. Just enjoying myself with the Lord, having a nice time with the Lord. Well, I challenge you. I challenge you. Take the next step. Create a storm in the spiritual realm. If, every, if, you, if, you, if you're in a place of peace, if you're in a, a good place, a wide place, and thank God for those places, thank God for them, but don't just, you know, sit back but say, right, things are going well, things are in order, God must want me to rise up and do something. God must want me to take me to another level. And the joy set before us, witnesses, the picture is, in heaven, do you know in heaven they have knowledge of what's going on on earth? I don't know how much they know, but they do. And the picture is, is that here we are, and we're in Wembley Stadium. And it's absolutely packed with all those that have gone before us, that have run the race. And they're cheering us on because they said, we were there, we were where you were. You know, we, we, we are God's church on earth right now. Great revelation, isn't it? We are, what do you mean by we're God's church? Like this, I, I often, I remember, I don't know, if, maybe if you're not a football supporter, it won't mean much to you. But I remember being a football supporter over the years and the players that were around in, in different periods, you know what I'm saying? The Pelés and the Kevin Keegan when he played and, and all, or, or whoever it might be. And I remember, you know, the 70s and the great players and I remember the 80s and the great players. And I remember the 90s. I remember watching them. I remember when it was their time. Do you know what I'm saying? 
when you'd switch on match of the day and it would be, you, you know, Graham Souness in defense. You know what I'm talking about? Charlie Nicholas up front and all these sort of things. And these great players. And you'd be watching them. And there they were. It was their time. And often when you talk about these times, oh, do you remember that player? Do you remember Billy Bremner? Do you, do, do you remember Peter Lorimer? Oh, yeah, I remember watching him play. And, and it was his time. It's not their time anymore. Their time's gone. Some of them go into management. Some of them go, you know, commentate. And every so often, you know, like Gary Lineker, great footballer, great commentator. And every so often he'll be sitting there. And we know him as a commentator now. But suddenly they'll show a clip of him playing for England. And those who were around at the time and watched it, it takes you right back. And he looks at it and you think, wow, I've forgotten how good he was. Well, it's our time. We're the ones in the premiership of God's time. Oh, thank God for the Pele's of the faith. Do you know what I'm saying? Thank God for the Maradona's of the faith. You know, all those, those great faith people in church history and, and that we've known. Thank God for all them. But they're not playing now. We're wearing the strip. We're, we're playing for the kingdom of God now. We're out there on the pitch with goals to score. We're out there fighting the good fight. It's our time. And just like a footballer always says, your career is so short. Our career is so short on earth. All flesh is grass. Let me tell you something. Before you know it, you'll be dead. Hey, I'm an encourager. Before you know it, you'll be an old folk. Ready to, you're going to be old soon. Before you know it, now is your time to be loved, to believe, and to hope. Now's your time. Now's your time, and honestly, before you know it, oh, if they could speak now from heaven. If, if there was one message, they were, they, if there was one message they could speak from heaven, they'd say, you don't know how short the time is. You don't know how short the time is. You, you push it. Go for it. Believe God. Step out. We're the only church God's got on the earth. The church that's on the earth right now. Hallelujah. So, therefore, also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Let's bow our heads. Could it be there's someone here today, and you need to take your first step of faith. I said that faith is based on love. And is the bridge to hope your future. God loves you. God sent his own son to die for you. That's how much he loves you. And I believe that perhaps the Holy Spirit 
has begun to drop into your heart by the Spirit, His love for you tonight. Understand that God's love will bring a response from you. Believe in Him. What more could God have done for you than sent His own Son to die for you? What more could He do? And all you have to do is believe and receive. You just say, yes, please. Father, forgive my sins for the sake of your son. I trust in you, Lord. I believe that you're for me, not against me. And I receive your love in my heart. I want to walk in faith with new hope in my life. Because, Lord, your hope never disappoints. If you're ready to pray that prayer tonight, with every head bowed, I want you to just lift your hand where you are. Upstairs. Yeah, in the balcony. Downstairs. Yeah, I see your hand, hand. Upstairs there. Anybody else? You ready? You say, I'm ready. I'll receive God's love tonight. I believe God's for me. I want to walk and believe in Him. I want, I want a new hope for my life. I want joy set before me. I want to know that at the end of this life and at the end of the day, there's joy for me. There's hope for me. It's not over. Is there anybody else who wants to lift their hands with those that have had already? And finally, for, for those of you that are here today and you've suffered discouragement, weariness of spirit, and you're wondering, you, you've given up on some of the promises of God, and God wants to renew and say, don't give up. Don't give up. I love you. What I spoke to you in your heart was true. I love you. Believe me, I love you. And let those hopes and dreams come back. God loves you. Believe in him. Let the hope come back in the name of Jesus. I'm going to invite the prayer team, the ministry team to come forward right now. For the next 15 minutes, we're just going to worship the Lord and just do business with the Lord right where you are. But it could be, I, th I think, I'm not saying this is a word of knowledge, but I think there's some people here that are discouraged, weary, and I think that there may be some people here that have even entertained thoughts of suicide. What is my life? What's the point? Who am I? And you've entertained these thoughts. What's the point? And you've lost hope. And what we're going to do is we're going to just worship Lord stand together and whether you're slightly discouraged or suicidal in some of your thoughts you come and get prayed for but also for some of you and you think you know what I haven't really been going through storms right now the challenge to me is to make a storm whatever that might mean the Holy Spirit will tell you what to do God wants me to make a storm in the spirit God wants me to step out and step up and do something for him that's going to cause a storm in the spiritual realm and bring his kingdom. So there's two types of people here today. Those that are weary and discouraged and need ministry. And those that are doing all right, but God says, come on, create a storm. Make some decisions. Do some things. Let's have some consecration. Let's go a little bit further. A little bit more commitment. A little bit more believing. And create a storm in the heavenlies for me. Amen. Let's stand together. As we worship the Lord for any of these things or more, if you want a healing tonight, if you want prayer for any of these things or more, as we worship Lord, the Lord for the next 15 minutes, feel free to come with our trained ministry team who will 
be more than happy to pray for you.